0: I love that last line after he says, you know, I'm going to die someday. He says, now how would you not know that that was going to take place, right? (laughs) Have have you ever been reading a good book that was very suspenseful or a mystery, and you just couldn't wait to see how it was going to turn out, so you went to the last few pages and you peeked to see how it was going to end? You ever do something like that? Usually you're let down then because the rest of the book's not as exciting, right, when you know the ending, or have you ever been in a situation where you're talking with someone and they start talking about a movie they've just seen, you have not yet seen it, and you don't want to know how it's going to end or the plot, so you go, wait, 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 wait. don't tell me, don't tell me, I haven't seen that movie yet. In fact, we have a term we use for that today if uh, we don't want someone, if we don't we, to warn someone that we might give away the ending, and that term is spoiler, yeah, spoiler alert. Um, I have a friend who loves sports, and I do too, and quite often we'll be watching the same game on TV, and so sometimes we text each other back and forth, although he takes an interesting approach to watching it. He records every game, and then he will start watching it, not live, but anywhere from like 30 minutes to an hour late. The reason he does that is because that way he can fast forward through all the commercials, halftime, all that, and he doesn't have to watch any of that. He thinks that makes his life more efficient, I think. Well, here's the thing, I have to be very careful about what I text him during a game, because if I'm watching it live, I don't want to give it away for him. So, for example, you know, the Colts are playing on TV, and you come to the end of the third quarter, I don't, you know, and they're up three touchdowns, I don't want it to, well, they're not gonna be up three touchdowns this year, are they? (laughs) Let's rewind. Um, so you're watching you know, the game, and you come to the end of the third quarter, and the Colts are down three touchdowns, and you don't want to let him know that they're really down, because he's like just getting to halftime or something like that, so I don't want to text him something like that. Or um, you know, the game ends, and after they've been down three touchdowns, they come back and win the game. If I text him, oh, can you believe that? Colts come back. What a great win. That would be off limits, because he might still be somewhere in the fourth quarter. So, um, I've debated this morning whether or not I should give away the ending to the story we're going to look at from the Bible. And we're only going to look at the very first chapter, which doesn't end very well. But the story ends so differently that if you read the first chapter knowing the rest of the story, it changes everything about how... You read it. So, I'm going to give away at least some of the ending because I think you've got to know how this ends because I don't want everybody to walk out of here depressed this morning when they get to the end of this first chapter, which ends just terribly bad. Um, so, I'm going to go ahead and give you a spoiler alert right now. I am going to give away at least some of the ending this morning. And if you don't want to know that, you can just go ahead and walk out and come back. not Actually, not not next Sunday, but in two Sundays when Josh will tell you how the story ends. Or you can just cover your ears, however you want to do it there. But we we are starting a new series today called Promise. And it's called that because it just shows us how God keeps his promises. It's based on a little book in the Bible, obscure little book, called the Book of Of Ruth and I think one thing that makes this book so intriguing is tucked away in the pages of the Old Testament the Old Testament's the first half of the Bible And it's just a little book. It's like four chapters And in fact in my Bible, it's three pages you could sit down and read this book in a matter of Minutes, but I think what makes it so intriguing is this it's like a ray of light in a dark room this little book is or it's like giving us hope in the midst of darkness. When I was a kid, almost all kids' cereals had a prize in them. They don't do that so much anymore because I I guess kids aren't as interested in the prizes. But when we were kids, man, we wanted to see what those prizes were in the cereal boxes. So Um, My mom would buy, when she would buy me new cereal, and by the way, my go-to as a kid, my go-to cereal was Cocoa Puffs, just so you know. When she would bring home a new box of Cocoa Puffs, of course, it would always have a prize in it. And when she wasn't looking, as soon as that new box came home, what I would do is I would open the box, you know, And then I would dig down in, it. and back then they actually put the prizes down in the packages. I think nowadays they're between the package and the box itself. But back then they would put the prizes down inside the package. And they always put the prize at the bottom, of course, thinking you had to eat the cereal first. So what I would do is I would open that package and just stick my dirty hand all the way down to the bottom of that package, feel around until I found that prize, and I would pull it out just to see what prize I was going to get. That's probably why nobody ate my cereal when I was a kid. They probably had that figured out. But it was always exciting to find out what that prize was. And today, not a lot of cereals do it. This one, this is Frosted Flakes, of course. They have them, you have to buy the family size, of course. The big box, they won't give it to you unless it's the family size. But um, these are like from the Emoji movie. They're emoji cards that they're giving away. And I just opened this box for the first time. So let me dig around in here. And, uh, well, there it is. I see the prize. Let me pull it out. We have an emoji card with the name of Gene on it. I have no idea who Gene is, yeah? You probably don't either because I heard the emoji movie really flopped, right? But anyway, the book of Ruth is like a prize in a cereal box. And here's why. It's this book that just comes out of nowhere when you're reading through the Old Testament. And and you would think it has no relevance to the story of what you're reading when it appears. Now, God had a special relationship with the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. The reason he had that special relationship is, is because it was through that nation, Israel, that he was going to bring the Messiah, Jesus, into the world. So he had this really close relationship with them. And you read about that throughout the Old Testament, but there's a book right before the book we're gonna look at um, called Ruth, called the Book of Judges. And that book is really, really dark. In fact, if you use one phrase right out of the book to characterize that book, it would be this. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And then there's Ruth. And then the next book is the book of Samuel. And it starts out really, really dark too, just depressing. But right in the middle, sandwiched between these two books is this little obscure book that's like the prize in the cereal box because of the hope it gives you. Now, you may be asking yourself, well, that's great to know, Jerry, but why does this matter to me? Why is this important to me? Here's why it's important. In fact, if you miss everything else, get this, okay? It tells us not only what kind of God was present then, it tells us what kind of God we have. It tells us we have a God who keeps his promises. It tells us we have a God who is faithful who is gracious, who even when we turn our backs on him, even when we're disobedient to him, he still shows us his unconditional love. So here's a bit of a spoiler alert from the book of Ruth. The book starts out terrible, it's very depressing, but it's going to end so well. In fact, if Ruth were a movie, I'd pay money to go see it. I really would, because of the way it ends. Have you ever gone to a movie that ended badly, that ended depressing, and you walked out of the theater going, why did I pay money to see that? You know, um, a couple years ago, my wife and I went to see a movie. I was intrigued with the previews. I thought it would be foreseen, and um, little another little spoiler alert. I'm gonna give away the plot to this movie, but it's been out for two years, so I don't think that matters at this point. It was called Everest. I don't know if any of you saw it or not, but it was showing at IMAX theaters. Being interpreted, we had to give away a half hour retirement to even go see the movie, you know, at an IMAX theater. So we we go into this movie, and I'm thinking, this is going to be really cool. You know, it's about climbing Everest. We're going to see this breathtaking scenery on IMAX, you know, so on. So we watch the movie. Let me give you the plot of this movie, basically, if I were to sum it up. Everybody struggles to climb a mountain, and then they all die. (laughs) So we're walking out of this movie, and I'm grumbling and complaining to my wife, and I'm going, We paid money to see a movie in this way. You know, if I want to be depressed, I'm good at doing that on my own, you know. I can stay home and be depressed. If I go to a movie, I want to be inspired, I want to be encouraged, I want to laugh. I don't want everybody to die at the end of a movie. And so if you feel the same way I do, you are going to love the book of Ruth because of the way it ends. Now, remember, it doesn't start out so well. But we'll jump into it here, starting in Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. It is a pretty fascinating story to follow along. Here we go, Ruth 1, 1. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and his two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech. And his wife's name was Naomi. Their two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Now, we're introduced to the main characters right here at the beginning of the story. And you notice that the story starts off with bad news. There's a severe famine. A family is going to have to uproot and leave their home in their town behind just to be able to find food. By the way, did you happen to note what town they're from? We read that they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. Have you heard of the town of Bethlehem? O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie? Yeah, that's where Jesus was born. Remember that because it might just come into play later in the story. Then the bad news gets worse. Let's keep reading. Verse 3. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. Wow. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, and the other a woman named Ruth. So they go to Moab, and Elimelech dies. Now, if there's any kind of silver lining in this depressing story at all, it's because at least the two sons find wives, right? We read that one was named Oprah and the other Ruth. No, it didn't say Oprah, all right? I'm just seeing if you're awake on a rainy morning here. It actually said Orpa, but when you read it, it kind of looks like Oprah, doesn't it? Um, I don't know if this is true or not, but I actually read it in two different sources when I was doing my prep for this sermon. Supposedly, Oprah Winfrey's mother wanted to name her Orpah, like we just read in the book of Ruth. But when they wrote it down on the birth certificate, they got those two letters mixed up and they misspelled it. And so they wrote Oprah instead of Orpah. So she just decided, her mom did, to go with it. But Who knows, I don't know. You might at least want to check under your seat to see if there's a key to a new car today, I don't know. Um, but, But all kidding aside, how could it get any worse for Naomi? Uprooted from her home because of a severe famine, she moves to a foreign country, her husband dies. At least her sons found spouses so she could look forward to having some grandchildren. So the story goes from bad to worse. Now the story's about to get worser. Here we go. Back to verse four. But about ten years later, both Malon and Kilion died. This left Naomi alone without her two sons of her her husband or her husband. Man, that makes you go, why would I want to keep reading this story, huh? You know, are you kidding me? She's alone in a foreign land. What do you do with that? They have to move because of a fama, famine, and then her entire family dies. I mean, where is God in this? Do you think she prayed about her circumstances? I think she did. I think she prayed before they left Bethlehem, asking God to guide their decision to have to uproot and move. She prayed for safety. she prayed for protection. Then her husband dies. Do you think she questioned God when that happened? No doubt. But she thought, well, at least I have my two boys. Then they die. Where is God in this? How can God be good and let this happen? Now, some of you have been there. Some of you may be there even today. You have questioned God. You are questioning God. Why did they want a divorce? Why can't I find a good job? Why do I have to continually deal with these health issues? Why can't we have a baby? Why do I continue to struggle with depression? Why did they have to die? Why did they have to die when they died? And maybe you still trust in God, but you just don't understand why things have happened like they've happened in your life. Or maybe you feel like you've prayed, and you prayed, and you prayed, and then you prayed some more. And the more you did that, the more questions you have. Hang on to your questions. We'll land this a little later. That's part of the spoiler alert. But let's keep reading the story. Verse 6. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah, that's where she was from, Bethlehem and Judah, by giving them good crops again. So Naomi Naomi and her daughter-in-laws got ready to leave Moab to return to the homeland. With her two daughter-in-laws, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-laws, Go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed him goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. So when Naomi starts to head home with her daughter-in-law, I think while they're traveling, they were walking. Obviously, they had a lot of time to think. And she begins to think about her daughter-in-law's returning with her. Obviously, she didn't want to be alone. She didn't want to have to go back home all alone. But then if she thought about it more, that was all for selfish reasons. They would actually be, her daughters-in-law, would be better off staying in their home with their families and perhaps meet someone they could marry. So she wishes them well, and she sends them on their way. But now the plot begins to thicken. Here's verse 14. And again, they wept together And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung tightly tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi, or look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law's gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. So Orpah does return home, and she went on to start a very successful talk show on TV. Um, (laughs) It actually led to her starting her own TV channel. But Ruth wouldn't leave Naomi. So here's verse 16. Ruth replied, don't ask me again to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. So the two of them continued on their journey. This is one of the classic statements really of the Bible, those words of Ruth where she says, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. I mean, such a statement of loyalty and devotion to Naomi. But it's also a statement of devotion to God because God was at work in Ruth's life. Now, I haven't said anything about this yet, but earlier we read that Ruth, was from Moab. Moab was east of Israel, it was just across the Jordan River, and you could trace their ancestry back and find out that they were actually distant cousins of the nation of Israel. That being said, sometimes they were friendly, Israel and Moab, and sometimes they weren't. They were at war. You could say, yeah, just like cousins, right? But Moab did not follow God, the God of Israel. So this is a defining moment decision by Ruth. And it's a profound statement. Ruth wanted to belong. She wanted to be accepted by Naomi and part of her family. But even more importantly, even more significantly, she wanted to be accepted by Naomi's God. When she reached out like this, think about how scary, how vulnerable Ruth was at this point. She had no guarantees as to how this was going to turn out. Ruth is a foreigner. She's an outsider. She's a widow. Her people, the Moabites, had actually oppressed the Israelites just a few years earlier for 18 long years. This was a huge risk on her part to see if she would be accepted into the nation of Israel and by their God. What she did took incredible faith. But here's another little spoiler alert. God's going to reward her for that. Back to the story. Naomi and Ruth return to Bethlehem and settle there. Verse 19, when they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi? The women ask. Her friends say, is this Naomi? Let me translate that for you. They looked at her and said, you look terrible. I mean, something has happened, right? I mean, these last 10 years have been really hard on you, Naomi. So Naomi responds by saying, you don't know the half of it. I lost my husband, I lost my sons, I lost everything. Don't call me Naomi anymore because I've changed my name. Let's keep reading, verse 20. She says, don't call me Naomi, instead call me Mara. That means bitter. That's what that word meant. For the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? So Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by her daughter in law Ruth, the young Moabite woman. They arrived in Bethlehem in the late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. Naomi's home now, but she has nothing no husband, no money, no food, no nothing. And sometimes we feel that way. We go through a bitter season or a season of questioning. Now this isn't the end of the story for Naomi. And it's not for you either. Naomi is out there with her feelings though, isn't she? Have you ever been there? Have you ever had a bitter season? Or or even if it wasn't a bitter season, a dark season, a questioning season, a painful, a hurtful season, a time when circumstances just seemed against you, a time where maybe... Someone had hurt you, disappointed you, betrayed you, and you tried to snap out of it, but you just couldn't. You know, I've been there. I can remember going through one season of life that I would describe as bitter. It lasted for two long years, and at the time it seemed even longer. I specifically remember coming to the end of a year. It was actually about a year and a half into this bitter season, and I was so tired of it. And my circumstances just seemed to continually weigh me down. And I got to the point where I was so tired of it that as the end of the year came and January rolled around, I remember telling God, I'm done, I'm through, I can't get through this on my own, and I don't know how to fix it. But as the new year approaches, I'm going to change my attitude. I'm going to choose joy. I'm going to trust you. You are in control of my life from now on, not me. Now, it took at least six more months, but God did begin to work in my life and in my circumstances. Things began to change, but my attitude had already changed. I was learning that God wanted me to trust him regardless of my circumstances. And when we go through a bitter season, we're tempted to blame God or at least question God at times. He's responsible, right? Or at least he could have changed things for me. And that's how Naomi felt. Now because I've read the entire story, I'm compelled as I finish reading chapter one to want to yell at Naomi and say, Naomi, Trust God. He's got a plan for you. You can't see it right now, but I know how the story ends. And the plan is th- going to give you more hope than, or, or more dreams than you ever could dream about, so hang in there. But Naomi couldn't see that plan. All she felt was pain and bitterness. And pain and bitterness can make us very short-sighted. So, it's time for another little bit of a spoiler alert. I told you, I would give you some at the beginning of the message. Here's a little bit of how the story ends. And Josh is gonna give you the details in the week to come. He'll give you the full um, story of how it ends, but he told me I couldn't give it all away because he wants to when he gets to that point. Ruth meets Prince Charming, marries him, and they have a son. Naomi now has a little guy calling her granny. And that grandson of hers would have offspring who would be very special. And I'm even going to give you a little more, okay? Naomi ended up being the great-great-grandma of perhaps the greatest king in Israel. And he became the ancestor of somebody really special too. And I think to myself, you cannot make this stuff up. God didn't cause these horrible things to happen to Naomi or to Ruth, but he used them not only to bless them, but in the end to bless the entire world. Now that can be your story too, if you trust God during the bitter seasons, during the difficulties. A couple key themes to the book of Ruth are promise and redemption promise. God always keeps his promises in redemption. Redemption on many levels. God wants to redeem the dark times in our life and bring good from them. So I want to leave you with four takeaways from this story this morning that we've just started. Here's the first. You can trust God even when you don't understand. Now it's not easy to do. But when you build up a history of God's faithfulness in your life, it does become easier. In other words, you can learn to say, God was faithful to me in the past, so I know he'll be faithful now, even when I don't understand. And You know, if you're saying, man, I, I don't have a history like that with God. Then you can now draw from the stories in the Bible, a story like this one, a story like Ruth. Here's the promise of Lamentations 3, verses 22 and 23 in the Bible. It says this, The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is His faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. You can trust God even if you don't understand because next, God always keeps His promises. That's not only the personal story of Ruth and Naomi, That's the reason that this little book is included in our Bibles. God made a promise to Abraham, the father and founder of the nation of Israel, that through him he would bring Jesus into the world and that Jesus would be a savior to everyone in the world. And even though this was a dark time in the history of Israel, God was still working. God included Ruth, a foreigner, just to remind us that while he had a special relationship with the nation of Israel, He was actually going to save the entire world. And God will keep his promises to you as well. That's why you can trust him even when you don't understand. Sometimes those answers that we're looking for come in this life. Sometimes they don't. But the promise of eternal life through Jesus is that God will make all things new in eternity All the wrongs will be made right. All the hurt, the disappointment, the pain, the sorrow will be gone. We don't always see the big picture just like Naomi. And sometimes we don't even have that big picture until eternity. But that doesn't change God's faithfulness. Listen to one of those promises. It's not only the story of Ruth and Naomi's lives, It can be your story too. Here's Romans 8.28 in the Bible. It says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. That leads right into our next takeaway. God always keeps his promises because God has a bigger plan, and that plan includes bringing good from the bad in your life. Now, I'm not saying it's going to remove all the hurt or the questions you have, but it gives us hope. You can find story after story in the Bible about this very thing. And and because we know the end of the story for Naomi, or we will in a couple weeks anyway, it's obvious how God was working, even in her circumstances, to bring good from the bad. Listen to what another guy in the Bible says. His name was Joseph. His story is recorded near the end of the first book of the Bible, Genesis. He had a lot of bad stuff happen in his life too. And after he had had a 13-year-long bitter season, he wrote these words. You intended to heart me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Finally, Because God has a bigger plan for us, God's vision for our life is always bigger and better than our own vision. It may look different. It may feel different. It may have different timing. It may be be really hard or it could have been really difficult in the past, in the present, in the future. But God loves you and does want what's best for you. So when you trust in his plans and purposes, you can rest in that. Let God control your outcomes. Trust Him. I know of two ladies who did that, named Naomi and Ruth, and they were glad they did. I'd like to close us in prayer.